Welcome to Truth 30 with Joey Dumont, a podcast that debates our society's most politically compelling topics through the lens of slow journalism. Each show is investigated with a focus on narrative as well as discovery. We believe that the complexity of our culture today cannot be crammed into six-minute television segments or snippets and memes on social media where ideology and entertainment has overtaken the creed of historical reporting. On the program, you'll hear the opinions of subject matter experts to help you separate the signal from the noise. Our collective goal is to better understand one another, not win a battle. After watching, you'll be reminded that a proper debate is not about victory, but that of inquiry, education, and viewpoint diversity. So tune in and talk amongst yourselves. You may even learn a thing or two. Over the past several months, I've spent a lot of time understanding the left-leaning bias of our news media. For those of you who do follow the news, this isn't news at all. But as a liberal, I truly wanted to understand what was going on in our culture. I wanted to actually separate the straw from the hay, if you will. And one of the books that I read on this topic, it was called Bad News by Batya Unger-Sargon. She's currently the editor-in-chief of Newsweek magazine. And this book was published in February of 2021. It was a scathing indictment of our liberal news, specifically the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, all of which I subscribe to and all of which lean left. She gets into granular details specific to how important subscription models are and how important ad revenue is and how these publications cater to a very specific demographic in their pursuit, specifically an elite demographic. Whether that's cultural or financial or both has yet to be determined. I think it's both. Why I found this book so fascinating is that Batya Unger Sargon herself leans left. And for me, I always like it when someone criticizes their own family. And in this case, it gave it a little more credibility. I didn't agree with everything she said, but I sure agreed on the subscription and ad revenue models. And as someone who spent the last 20 years in the ad business, I understand those. And because of that, I have friends and relatives all the time that ask me, Joey, where do you go to get truly objective news? Where can I go to actually see a story that isn't bent by the left or the right? And I think that's why today's episode is so exciting for me. I interviewed a woman named Marsha Parker, who is currently the chief operating officer of the largest nonprofit news organization in California called Cal Matters. She's also a story journalist in her own right and media executive. She's also the former associate dean at the Berkeley School of Journalism and someone I like to call a friend. She shares with us why she actually chose to go into nonprofit journalism and why she took the job as the chair of the board of the Institute of the Nonprofit News Organization here in California. I hope you guys enjoy the show as much as I enjoyed the interview. Cheers. Well, there's our legal warning, Marsha. We are being recorded now and you are on camera. So let me first start by thanking you for your time and energy today and uh, kind of helping the audience understand how we know each other. Ms. Marsha Parker is the COO of Cal Matters and a storied reporter in her own time. And from what I understand, and my introduction was from my old business partner, Alex Gronke, who was a story journalist in his own right. Did was he your student at Berkeley? He was. He was a student of mine and uh, then became someone I hired when I was running all the patch uh, local news sites in the West Coast. And so That's I've known right. him for a very long time and we, we, we love working together and I know he loves working with you too. 
Yes, thank you. He was he was a wonderful business partner for the last three years, and uh, it's I'm still going to try and get him on the <clears throat> as one of my journalists one of these days, but I can't afford him yet. So <laughs> we're <Understand>. getting there. <clears throat> so I, as I mentioned to you briefly, even before we started recording, and in some of our emails back and forth, what True Thirty is attempting to do is tell the stories with as much research as we possibly can without a partisan lens. And obviously that's very difficult to do. We obviously have perspective, but we think we can get through the stories without bias. And a lot of what's going on today in the zeitgeist specific to media and journalism is that it's liberal, it's liberal leaning, that it's slanted, that it lacks objectivity. And so I thought immediately when this was going on, I called Alex and I said, dude, can you put me in touch with Marsha Parker again? And we hadn't seen each other for about three years. We actually came and talked to your journalism class, I think, because you were still you were a professor at Northwestern at that mm -hmm. point. Teaching on the campus there. Uh huh. Yeah. And so we came and talked to a bunch of wonderful kids, both young men and women, I should say, about what's going on in journalism. And so I wanted to get your take as a accomplished and storied journalist, as well as a professor, and then now someone who is the COO of Cal Matters, which is a nonprofit uh, news organization in Sacramento. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about Cal Matters and why you went there and kind of your mission and what you guys are doing for uh, to tell the proper story. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's a passion of mine to talk about these, uh, the world of nonprofit news and just what's happening in our industry after, you know, 20 plus years uh, doing this work. So, you know, I came to Cal Matters uh, five years ago, just this week, in fact, um, to really I've been on the editorial side my entire life. That's what I've always done. And I really came to Cal Matters to help build a new, um, a, a more sustainable business model for uh, the news organization. And that was really, in a, it was very early in the nonprofit news um, arena. And Cal Matters was one of only, I think at that point, there were maybe four state news nonprofits in the country. And you know, they were very well supported by a group of major donors, but they really didn't have kind of a long-term sustainable model with multiple revenue streams, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, we can talk about a little bit more later. So, I mean, I came to build, you know, help them build a more sustainable model so that they could um, grow and prosper. That was the whole point. Um, you know, I think that nonprofit news, the, the other sort of draw for me was I made my entire career on the, on the for-profit news side. And nonprofit news is was beginning at that point in time and has grown dramatically since, was beginning to be the, the new model emerging to save journalism. Um, now we have, uh, I'm also, my other role is I'm the chair of the board of the Institute for Nonprofit News, which is the uh, umbrella organization that represents all nonprofit news organizations. The power and the drive for me to come to Calmares was to be part of that community, part of a new solution. We're always going to have for-profit media, and we should, but I want philanthropy to support the news and information needs of communities across America and uh, worldwide. So that's why I that's why I came was to help them help them do that. That's fantastic. And I noticed in some of your literature here that you guys are growing in leaps and bounds. So you now have approximately 1.8 million visitors a month on your website and you have member donations, reader donations. And is that where most of your money comes from is either corporate sponsors or readership 
uh, donations on the monthly basis? Um, you know, not not really. So, I mean, it, it, those are both important revenue streams, both of which are growing. But the the other ones, uh, foundations is the biggest group, then major donors. Those are people giving us, you know, 5,000 or more. Then we have all our smaller donors, um, many of whom about 30% of our uh, small donors are also recurring members. So they're giving us money every month and they're really supporting us for a long time. Um, and then we have institutional money that is supporting our events and all sorts of things that we uh, products that we make and things like that. So the only way you can really be sustainable in nonprofit news is to have multiple revenue streams. And those are the four that all of us um, work toward. And for us now, our budget's about uh, 8.6 million this year. So we've grown dramatically. We now have a team of 52. We started with wow. four news or four staff people. Um 40 uh, news partners, because we also distribute our work to now 250 news organizations across the uh, state, um, in addition to our website, which is our main uh, sort of avenue for sharing our work. Uh, so we've just, you know, we've grown tremendously. Now we have 52 people and that's a lot of change, you know, a lot of growth. And it's been you know, slow study where this is our, uh, the beginning of our seventh year in, in business. And I think it's a pretty remarkable story, uh, because the growth has been nonstop, which is wonderful. And I think while we still have a long way to go, it's a much more sustainable model than we had five years ago. So that's, that's exciting to see. That is exciting. And, and, even in my research on nonprofit journalism, they actually refer to it as think tank journalism, which I thought was great. And the AP as an example is considered nonprofit, isn't it? They are. I mean, uh, they're not um, they're not a I mean, they are. But, you know, the AP has been around for, you know, I don't know decades and decades. Right. And it's, yeah. it's amazing because they're a member organization. So all news organizations are members of, of AP. Um, and those are mostly for profits that are members of AP, but they're serving them by, you know, having state, having reporters in different states and help helping them get their uh, news out, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so I, I noticed a stat that the Institute of um, nonprofits, nonprofit news grew by 25% in 2020. And they said that was a lot to do with COVID and people actually funding more money into the stories that they think, or they deem necessary for the public to understand. And did that, did you guys kind of hit that wave as well? Yeah. So we're now, yes, it's, it's growing, um, very rapidly. So 360 members, um, they're all in, you know, uh, almost every state in America, there are about 16 of them are, uh, state news. We have regional news organizations. We have lots of local uh, news organizations, and we have topical organizations. So they're covering environment. There's a new uh, a new site that's just uh, started um, uh, called uh, My, uh, My News on uh, mental health specifically. That's national. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see the growth, and there's growth in all of those sectors of our, of our nonprofit news organizations. We we think we'll be at, um, you know, 400 really soon and probably by the end of this year. And we're expecting, you know, just year over year growth in the, you know, big, big neighborhood. We just are putting our, we do an annual INN index report each year. And uh, we've just all finished putting all the data together and giving it to um, INN. So now in another a uh, few weeks, we'll have our uh, 2021 report done and we'll be able to kind of share all the growth by sector and all of that. 
So it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, now too, I'm looking at some data while I'm talking to you here. Um, <laughs> just from a revenue standpoint, like uh, now foundations represent about 47% of the revenue that's going to our nonprofit news organizations. Um, earned revenue from institutional, uh, corporate and institutional partners is about 14%. Individual giving is about 36%. And each of those has grown every single year. So it's it's extraordinary to see. And while it was a challenging year for nonprofits uh, news, particularly for smaller ones, all of us uh, grew, but financially, it was hard for the smaller news organizations, especially because a lot of uh, foundation money, especially, went to basic needs of human beings in Cal- mm-hmm. you know, in our in our states across our nation, uh, because of COVID and all the um, terrible impact on people. Uh, so a lot of foundations kind of, um, they didn't like stop funding nonprofit news, but they, um, you know, focus much of their, uh, giving on base meeting the basic needs of Americans. Right. And that, that actually coincided with some of the profit for profit media companies, even the local news organizations that genuinely care about objective news reporting, they lost a lot of the revenue based on the fact that they couldn't get the ad revenue to keep them alive and well, correct? Yeah, yes. And that is, um, you know, that is really the core problem with the uh, for-profit model, right? It, yeah. It's It's been eroding for years. I mean, we need, we have millions of Americans who need to have their news and information needs met, and we need um, healthy for-profits and healthy nonprofits in order to serve those needs. There's no question, but it's hard. Um it's hard for because that ad revenue has dried up, especially in print, right? Digital is yep. moving back. But it's it's very difficult for um for for profits. There is philanthropic philanthropics uh support now going to for-profit news organizations too. Um it's it's starting to uh grow and um I think that's going to be, you know, it's a little bit controversial in the industry. Some people think that why why should a for-profit um, be supported by philanthropy too? But, you know, my personal point of view, um, which not everyone shares, is that to meet the news and information needs of Americans and, you know, globally too, we need philanthropy to be part of that solution, part of the revenue stream. Well, that's, I agree with that too. And I think that part of what you guys did in 2021 and because of what you're doing, and I think because, again, the narrative out there is that journalism is dead and that there's no more object- objectivity within reporters. And <clears throat> even the, the guys on our team who are older and have been around a long time, they will point out that the, the actual industry has changed. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Mm-hmm. But I think what gets lost in the noise, specifically on, on media channels in general, it doesn't matter if you're left or right, is right. that there's tons of really good old school shoe leather reporting journalism going on out there and and even the non-sexy stuff but which is necessary for us as consumers to understand what's going on in our communities you guys touched on things like the mental health you just mentioned that that's mm-hmm. a big piece to what you guys are doing um and you and you talk about that in your own literature you have here that it created you want to talk specifically about the newly created 99988 mental health hotline system Sure, sure. I can talk about that for a second. Um, so, you know, I think what's maybe what's important at the kind of high point, uh, the sort of standing above it all for a minute is this is true for nonprofit news. I mean, we are a public sector or a set of news organizations. We think about our work as um, 
not just meeting the news and information needs, but really, you know, robust local accountability coverage, right, for our communities. And so it's not that for-profit journalism isn't. It's just that, you know, um, we don't have to worry about advertising. We don't have to worry about anything else. We're just one kind right. of one goal. So, right. and and for many news organizations, right, the the local the local news needs are very specific, but the themes um, resonate across our nation right now, right? Uh, and not just accountability journalism, but really equity, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Poverty, uh, equity. Um, economic mobility. These are the themes of our nation now, right? And inclusivity. And that includes diversity as well. And and that means, you know, for every one of the news organizations, we have to be focused on those themes in our community, whether we're doing regional, state, local, or even topical. So I think that's an important thing to think about. And I mean, I think Kelmares is a good example of that where Our biggest team is our California Divide team, and that team is focused specifically on uh, poverty and inequity and economic mobility or the lack thereof in California. So we look across everything that has to be covered in that space, but those are the themes that drive our coverage, and we're framing it on a statewide basis because the state is um, focused on um, economic recovery. And we recognize that the divide is the biggest in our state. It's a big nation state, as you know. Um, and it's not going away. The divide is not going to end after, oh yeah, we throw a bunch of money at it. We are throwing a bunch of money at it in California, $300 billion, in fact. Um, but will that money change the, uh, will it lift more Californians? We don't know yet. That's kind of a big goal. And that theme is happening all over America, right? So so that's an important theme. You know, we also look in in part because of the pandemic, but and and in part because the state is really focused on some of the um on health equity and mental health issues um worsened during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And our state, you know, uh for the first time has a mental health czar, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we have a dedicated reporter. Not very many news organizations could do that or would do that, but we have that as part of our five-person healthcare team. And that's really important to us because we see that um, coverage in that space is not uh, an area that where there's tons of coverage. Um, and we know that we can make a difference in that kind of coverage. So, you know, that's what we do. We, we see what we're, tr- what we're not doing is trying to um, replicate work that our media partners are doing, right? That's, we're not competing with our media partners. That's why we give all of our work away for free. And Cal Matters mm-hmm. does um, to all of our media partners. It's to find the gaps where we can uniquely fill the space, right? With good, good reporting. And so a lot of my listeners are not necessarily up to speed on what journalism really means. So can you do a little bit of uh, your professorship in the sense of explaining what is a like Alex always talked about being a beat reporter, my partner and your former student Uh and how much he loved that and how important that was, because it's not a matter of just reporting on a specific news story. But to your point, let's use the DEI piece, because that's a a very important piece to a, a lot of the things that I read on your site. The equity initiatives that you guys are doing, when you talk about that, when you, how many dedicated reporters do you have on that? And what does that actually mean as far as budgets and effort and focus and, and how all of those people actually do their jobs? Because I think that would be good for the listener to understand. 
Sure. Um, yeah, I'll, talk, I'll speak about it about CalMERS. I'll also speak about it at the kind of local level, too. Um, cool. I mean, for us, our California t- divide team has, uh, I think we've got seven um, reporters and an, uh, and an editor now. And they're across the state. All of our staff is all over the state. They're not all in Sacramento. Uh, okay. And they just look at those themes that I articulated and and cover that every day in and day out. But they look across all beats because, you know, um, the economy reporter isn't like, OK, you're on the other side of the wall. You can't write about divide because she's looking at the economy, right. and the reengineering of the economy. So she they, they speak together. But those big themes have to be covered. Right. So yep. people. Um, they frame at the beginning of each year kind of the big themes that they want to focus on within um, poverty and equity. They also will look at now because our budget, the $300 billion budget just was released by the governor. And there's huge amounts of money going into aspects of that, whether it's educational equity, whether it's um, mental health, which is another big area, et cetera, et cetera. So they look at those and then they're going to really be watching where the budget ends up because it still has to be passed, right? Um, And they're also going to be watching the uh, accountability-wise that money because it's going into something. What comes out of it? Do we have solutions, et cetera, et cetera? So so that's an important part of the way that... um, that we work and and that happens on every beat our i would say at cal matters and this is very typical of many of our um nonprofit news organizations is at the beginning of every year the reporters sit down with their editors and they figure out what are the big themes on my beat what am i going to really what are the big stories i want to tell and then what are kind of the smaller stories right mm-hmm. and what what stories can will resonate across the state and you know how does it sort of tie in with the new um focus of uh, of the money that's going into the budget because that really determines like w- what good things are going to come out of it and possibly what what other things might you know uh turn out not so not so well because the money's not well spent it's not delivering et cetera et cetera um so that I mean, that's kind of how how everybody does it I, I would say that you know in California I think it's very interesting um we have the largest number of nonprofit news organizations in the United States. We have 40 nonprofits. CalMERS is the state wow. one. We're the only one. Um, most, um, I think we have 16 nonprofit news state new, state house newsrooms like ours in the, in the United States. So <clears throat> we don't have them everywhere yet. Uh, and then, so we've got 40 and the rest of those are local. They're all local. And that's fabulous. They're like this uh, one of the newest ones, San Jose Spotlight that just started up about a year ago um, and uh, Oakland side, Berkeley side, you know, that are really community focused. And that's, you know, that's fantastic. We have older ones like the Voice of San Diego, the Voice of Orange County. Also, all, all of these are nonprofit news. And, you know, that's all that they do is focus in on the news and information needs of their communities. And, you know, everybody's staffed, you know, some are small, like we've got 52, 36 of those people are journalists on our team. And um, that's what they're doing every day, right, is writing about the daily and the bigger picture stories that are really important in their in their community. And, you know, I would say about the DEI, I mean, the, I think it, what's important to know about that is, you know, it, it happens in the th- that first th- there's the reporting theme around DEI then there is the how do you run your editorial operation a couple of things are happening across all of our uh, news organizations <clears throat> particularly in the nonprofit space that is we're 
we're paying close attention to the diversity of our staffs in California, for example, right? We have our, our state is, you know, 60% people of color. Cal Matters is at 50% people of color right now. That's actually, we're trying to wow. map to That's our great. state. So we're actually not where we need to be. And we're aware of that. So we're recruiting with that in mind all the time. It's really important. Um, and all of us have that in mind. Like we want to be representative of our of the places, whether it's local or state of what we cover. That's important. And then another thing that we're all, almost all of us, all really all, all the news organizations are doing, <clears throat> particularly the nonprofits is we're looking at the diversity of our sources and we're actually, mm. we do what's a, called a content audit. And we look at all our content and then we figure out are our sources diverse enough is, you know, are, do we have 99% of our people are um, Caucasian that we're talking to? Right. And, and that won't be acceptable if that's what we find. So when uh, Cal Matters, we did ours recently and it, it told us a lot of really interesting things. And as a result of that, we came up with a whole series of things we're going to do to improve on the diversity of our sources. So we're very conscious of that. Um, and, you know, every newsroom can do better in that in that. And it actually takes intentional focus, right, to do that. So those are kind of like two pieces. The news industry's for decades been really bad at having a diverse newsroom. Mm -hmm. Very few of them have been diverse. And now everybody, you know, we're we're all working on that and we're tracking it to make sure that we're making change, right, that it's actually happening. And that's, you know. That's been very true, especially at the very top leadership level of, of uh, news organizations. Many of them are not diverse. And so that's an area of focus for, um, you know, for all for all of us. But it's also the ranks and it's all ranks, right? Not just editorial. We've got a product team. Make sure the product, every team has to be diverse. It just can't be, oh, yeah, we got a few and, you know, we're fine. It's that's that's not OK. And, and we've all agreed that's not OK. So we're we're really uh, focused on that. And the same thing, as I say, with the content audits, I mean, you have to have a diverse group of sources from which you are drawing your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right. And informing the public. And that's important. It's, it's not easy, but it does take it has to be intentional in order to uh, make progress. Well, that's a, that's encouraging news, because I think that. Number one, you're not only looking at diversity of ethnicity within your organization, you're looking at diversity of sources. Mm -hmm. on the beat. And honestly, that comes to, I think, as far as credibility, if you're in a Latino community and you have a Latino reporter, that's going to be more advantageous as far as outreach and understanding specific to the community and the culture and all of those pieces. And then that builds the trust. And is that kind of where the beat, the actual, the name itself comes in? It's, these are people, just to reinforce this for the listener, the, a beat reporter is someone who spends time and effort and love on that specific area. And that's, is that a geographic area, correct? Um, for us, it's not geographic because we're statewide. So every reporter has to be thinking about their beats statewide, but at the local okay. news organization level, absolutely. There are also regional news organizations that have regional focus. And then right. there's you know, nonprofits that are only doing environment, health, mental health, et cetera. And so they're looking either most of those are are national some are regional um so so that's the i'd say that's the focus really of what they're what you know they're trying to achieve and and what they're required to do right and they they have to be responsive to that because we actually 
Um, those are goals Cal Matters has for itself. We're going to mm-hmm. do X, Y, Z. And so if it, we don't just kind of say it at the beginning of the year, we're actually checking to see if we're making progress, right? And and we have to make progress. We expect to make progress. So it's, it makes a makes a big you know a big difference. Do you see the diversity at because you're a professor as well in journalism? Do you see diversity in the classrooms today far more than it used to be, or is it still predominantly, I don't know, middle class? And, and I don't mean just diversity in the sense of ethnicity, but one of the big talking points around diversity and Jonathan Haidt, I don't know if you know Dr. Jonathan Haidt, mm-hmm. but he talks a lot about this specifically. He's big on viewpoint diversity. Yeah, it's Obviously, very important. He's in the social sciences, sciences. So just to educate some of the listeners on this, Dr. Jonathan Haidt has a purview that ethnicity and diversity and equity and inclusion is a good thing. But there's also something called viewpoint diversity. So if you come up from, let's just say the other side of the tracks and your parents don't have the money to help you get into college. Absolutely. And you, right, those, you have a very different view of the world than someone who comes up you know, from prep school, goes to Columbia journalism school and then comes out and gets their first job, you know, at a, at a wonderful publisher, that kind of thing. So how do, is that a piece and part of what you guys do as well? And if so, how do you do that? How do you accomplish that? Because that seems actually That's a even great more question. difficult. It's a great question, Joy, and really an important question. Um, so I would say two things. Um, at Cal Matters, we, there's a couple things that I think we've done that have been, we've been learning a lot from. One is we have a college journalism network, and which we started about two years ago, and we made a very conscious effort to make sure that we have a lot of first-gen kids that were um, engaged not just with the top journalism schools in California, but with um, uh, other schools. Not that they don't have good programs, but they're not as well-known, and they're smaller, and they're... um, community colleges, for example, right, where it doesn't have to just be uh, only a great young person who's talented on a, you know, major uh, campus in the, um, in the state. And that has really changed a lot of our journalism. First of all, those kids, we pay them to be fellows, and they are covering um, the important stories, the same kind of big stories that we uh, are writing about on their campuses. So they're bringing a set of perspectives from their lived experience Mm -hmm. to us that we wouldn't see. Also, um, I can absolutely tell you that they have changed our newsroom in ways that we didn't really think about before. First of all, they call us on everything. So I love that. (laughs) Secondly, and they're not shy at all. um, No, but they, they also, because it's a more diverse, it's a very diverse group of kids, lots of first gen kids. They come with lived experience that some of us have not had. So it does inform the journalism. It informs our perspectives on the work that we do. um, And that's been very, very uh, helpful. Um, I'd say the second thing is, you know, because we're working really hard to build a more diverse newsroom, when we think about diversity, we are also thinking about lived experience that might be different from many others. And, you know, that includes, you know, every kind of diversity that's possible, right? Including diversity of sort of viewpoint, because, you know, most newsrooms are pretty liberal places, yep. unless it's a, a news organization that is, um, it was designed to be a conservative voice, right? Uh, right. So we have to think about that, you know, and that includes people, I mean, I think about this a lot, that includes, you know, 
um, this happened in many of my own newsrooms where we realized, you know, no one, we don't have any people of faith on the entire team. Like no one, <laughs> so, you know, like no one's yeah, in that world. Discussion. So it's, yeah. you know, like that's lack of diversity in a way too, right? Like yep. you, you have to have people with lived experiences that are different. From, it can't have everybody the same. Yeah. So, you know, it's like a lot of things like we're not just where do people come from or where have they lived, right? Like you can bring all sorts of diversity of experience to, to the newsroom. And so, you know, I think we're getting better at doing that. We, we still got a long ways to go, but we really, we're very conscious of that. And we're actually thinking about it as we interview people, as we, um, I, because Calmera seems to constantly be hiring. Um, I do a lot of diver, uh, outreach with diversity in mind. But, and when I say that, it isn't just people of color, although that's an important um, focus for us. It's also these kind of different lived experiences that they're going to bring some different kind of perspective that we don't really have on our on our team. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something that's one of the few things that the left and the right can agree on is that diversity itself isn't just color. It has to right. do with socioeconomics, has to do with lived yeah. experience. And if you're going to you know, hire a reporter who is actually trans versus someone who reads about being trans, there's a very big difference there in yeah. how that, that story is going to be shared and or reported. And then the same thing stands true with socioeconomics. If someone grew up poor versus someone who came out of prep school, there's a very different lens on how you see Absolutely. that. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool that you guys are addressing all that. Because again, that's one of the things that I read about, and that's a big bell they keep ringing, you know, they being the people that are criticizing journalism. Yeah. That, and, and do you think that it's more, this is more akin to nonprofits in, as, a, as opposed to like the big publishers, you know, the Atlantic and the Times and the Washington Post and, you know, the, the biggest and most respected organizations. And to mm -hmm. your point, they admit that they lean liberal. That's not, that's not, you know, no one of reason argues that. Do you yeah. think it, it is more akin to the nonprofits? I mean, I don't know if it's more akin. I mean, I think, I think what's happened in our nation in the last uh, two years, you know, in addition to the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, you know, everything that's changed our conversation in America um, has made all of us in newsrooms for profit and nonprofit think better, you know, mm -hmm. and really contemplate our lack of diversity in our newsrooms, which the industry has been guilty of for, I mean, I've been in this industry a long time, decades. You know, we used to, I mean, they still do release the diversity data in the industry. That was mostly the for-profits because there weren't that many nonprofits then. Right. Um, I mean, it was abysmal for years and years and years. So it's not like we, we have like a long way to go, long way to go. So I think that nonprofits though, in, in part, cause it's um, kind of a bedrock principle of the Institute for Nonprofit News is that we are going to help our nonprofit news organizations be, be more diverse in every way. And that we actually have a talent pipeline geared that way. We have an emerging leaders geared that way. So, you know, we're doing things to actually help us create the pipeline and help that happen. Um, that is not to say that, you know, all the nonprofit news organizations are like great on, on diversity because it's not true, but we, we are making a lot of progress and we're tracking it to see, right. And we're, uh, putting resources into developing the talent pipeline that will make that um, happen more easily too. That's great. I, how do you specifically like 
you mentioned the college students. When you have them as part of the organization in the in the journalism schools, do they write about their college or do they write about their local area as well? Or what does that look like as far as the stories? And then do they do they actually get um, bylines in in Cal Matters? They sure do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we pay them to report from their campuses. But again, their work is tied in with the themes that we have in our organization. Right. So yeah. they're covering, you know, like during the pandemic, we had a whole they do. We just kind of had the pandemic on California campuses and we just they just dug into what they were seeing. That had to do with I mean, we did some remarkable stories about students living in their cars because they couldn't any longer they first the dorms were closed right so right. then they weren't there a million reasons why homelessness among students um rose during the pandemic mm-hmm. hunger i mean it was uh, uh, extraordinary and startling and very sad right to see hunger growing on campuses um we wrote about students being forced to drop out to go to work Hmm. Um, because their parents were losing jobs. I mean, these kids, you know, that lived experience, right? Yep. It's their friends, their colleagues, right? They they see it and they report on it. And yes, they all get bylines, they all get paid. I mean, that's how we that's how we do it. Um, they're not really writing uh, local, but they're writing from their local campuses, and it's part of the college beat that is, you know, it's on our on our site. Right, and that's all over California, then. Yes, mm-hmm. they're all, all over different counties. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And we're trying to grow it. We've got about 30 campuses participating and, um, you know, the kids have been amazing and we also help them, you know, sometimes they're like juniors or whatever, but if they're, if they're going to look for jobs, sometimes we can hire them if we have enough, uh, uh, open, uh, uh, slots at that point, but we help them get jobs too. So that talent pipeline is, you know, a, a formal talent pipeline that we have and we help them, um, get into jobs within California if they want, or even elsewhere, because we got the connections to be able to do that. That's fabulous. And so that does cut across everything we just talked about, just to be clear. It, and it, just to use examples of diversity, you'd have some trans, you could have people of color, you could have socioeconomics, you could have culture, mm-hmm. you could have ethnicity, you get all those things you guys look for as an organization because of the lived purpose it makes the articles better. It makes Absolutely. the newspaper, it makes the organization better. Mm-hmm. And to your point, the one thing I do know about the young men and women that I come up against in any of our reporting, they're very vocal, mm-hmm. very passionate, and they're very informed. So like, yes. if you're going to, if you're going to debate, you know, a millennial, and I, I don't, it's, a, it's too broad of a term. I had a wonderful chat with this young man named Britt Abney, and it's one of my podcasts. And we talked about everything from Jordan Peterson to trans people and the best way to go about that. And he said something to me that was so astute. He said, you know, the hard part about it is the mob out there, you may, they may get a bad vibe. But when you actually talk to someone individually, there's no such thing. It's just human to human. Everything is easier. And that's where the real stories take place. So if you have someone that's actually out there interviewing about something they have passionate for, whether it's a person of color, whether it's someone who's trans, whether it's someone who's gay, whether any of those pieces, that's where I think the best storytelling emanates. Because mm-hmm. to your point, it is lived, it is lived purpose, lived experience. They actually have a purview that I, as a 55-year-old white male, would not have, right? I'm too far removed from a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's just informs really- everybody. And I mean, it forms our whole team. We talk about this as a team all the time. I mean, it's not just Cal Matters doing this, but it's just, 
I, I don't, um, you know, there, there are other organizations like we partner with another nonprofit news organization called Open Campus, which is all about higher ed and um, our college journalism. We do uh, projects with them, et cetera. So that gives them national exposure too. So, you know, we do that with them. We do it with KQED, all sorts of different partners. And the idea is give them more experience, but that that lived experience then informs, you know, a broader set of coverage beyond just Cal Matters, which is, which is great. Um, and we, you know, we really, our goal is to, to keep growing the college journalism network. I think that's fabulous. I, I mean, that, and again, that goes against a lot of the stuff that I've been reading in mainstream news, if you will. It's that internships are free and, you know, they don't pay them and they're coming from the best schools and a lot of those kids. So that I'll get into that in a little while, but one of the partners, is it Media and Color is one of your partners? Uh-huh, Media and Color and another one called Latino Media Collaborative, which are really two great, you know, organizations here in California. And um, yeah, so, you know, one of the important things that we we do is work with organizations like them. And the reason we do that is, again, CalMatters looks at our role as two roles. One is to inform Californians and the second one is to support the media ecosystem so it can be stronger. And that includes for-profit and non-profit where we don't have a point of view that one's better than the other. We want everyone's news and information needs to be met. And we want to do our part to support that. So Media and Color is um, really fantastic. Uh, they are an organization that is really devoted to working with uh, ethnic media, Black and ethnic media uh, news organizations in California to help them build um, their organizational capacity. So it's leadership, training, um, and sustainability. So they focus on um, all sorts of work in the space to help them begin to have multiple revenue streams, a website that can support advertising, you know, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. All the things that really are needed to help them be sustainable. And, you know, we started doing this work with them and we're, we're, I mean, we are not the major player in this. Those two organizations are, it's just because we have all the media partners, we work together with them to do this. So we help raise money that goes to them so that they can do this work. So it really, um, kind of kicked up uh, during the pandemic because uh, Black and ethnic media pub publishers were struggling unbelievably during that time. So that was really why we started really working so closely with them. So they have one core piece. And then the second core piece is this Latino media collaborative. Um, and what they are doing is they're working to really develop um, two things. One is kind of a set of sort of community roundtables that really allow all of them to form a community, a set of bonds, understanding. They also do training for all of them, but it's also to like build community. And then the second part is to um, kind of grab hold of this huge pot of money going into equity in California from foundations, from institutions, et cetera. And instead of them only kind of dispersing those in small grants uh, to one ethnic media organization, one here, one there. Uh, what they do is they uh, go to these big organizations and say, put your 50 million into all of them, right? So your ad mm -hmm. campaigns are not going to be one-offs anymore. They're going to help them build a sustainable model. And you have a 
we can give you the entree to all of them at the same time. So those campaigns can run with all of them, et cetera, et cetera. And again, that's part of building sustainability, but it's also the power of, you know, in California, we have a large number of Latino um, uh, owned um, and operated news organizations, and they've never kind of had that power of all of them being able to get that kind of grab that pile of money and have it really be a, Uh, work with everyone, right? And help them become more sustainable. So, and also build this real community among that uh, group of um, uh, Black and um, Black, you know, all all ethnic, Black, Asian, um, and Latino primarily, because those are the primary um, groups that are owning um, these news organizations and operating them. And they, they just, they need more support. They're those are the news organizations supporting many communities of color without enough um, without enough sustainability behind them, and they they need that. That's good. I think because there's a couple of questions I have in my head that just popped up. One of which is the digital divide, mm-hmm. specific to ethnic communities. Yeah, a lot of folks don't have access. Yes. to Wi-Fi and computers yep. and things like that. Yep. So yep. I think the original idea of journalism and the importance of it, you know, from the early Republic, right? The U.S. Postal Service back in the day actually subsidized sending out the newspapers out to 100 miles for one penny mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. And past yeah. 100 miles was 1.5 pennies, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it they understood the importance of sharing the news. And what you guys talked about you know, in some of your literature was that you guys covered the fires, you covered mental health, you covered COVID, you covered a lot of things that may or not sexy, but you needed coverage. And, and a well-informed public is a happy public, right? And then that's old, that's the old Joseph Pulitzer stuff is that our Republic and its press will rise and fall together, right? Is that a piece of what the Latino media collaborative and the media of color, are they addressing that digital divide with a lot of your, the initiatives specific to getting stories out to the community so that the community understands what's happening as opposed to, because there's a startling statistic that is running through my head is that 70% of people are getting their news now from social media. And we know that social media itself is not news. It's memes and propaganda and opinion, but you guys and, and the organizations that you're talking about are genuine old school shoe leather reporting journalists. And -hmm. I think it's fantastic. So is that a piece of the initiative is to get it distributed to these? I would say that's a good question, Joey. I would say what what I see is to become sustainable, right? uh, And especially for those, uh, those kinds of media outlets, generally they've been print focused. Yeah. And if, if they had a website, now one of the goals of this program that we're talking about doing with Media and Color and uh, Latino Media Collaborative is we get everybody on a um, what's called news pack, which is um, the WordPress kind of core platform that all of us use. And it would be very hard for them to afford that in every case. And yeah. that has kind of all the built-in bells and, bells and whistles to make them have an effective website. So that's the first thing. That's the first step is getting them all there. And then the second part is that 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 effort to make them sustainable includes building the team 
that can deliver what you were just speaking about, can engage with the community, do local forums and public events and virtual events at this point in time, and um, uh, engage a social media strategy, et cetera. And some of our nonprofit newsrooms um, are specifically using um, text delivery as their sole mechanism, some as their sole mechanism for outreach to their communities. Okay, that's cool because most people have phones. Yeah. So right. that is very interesting. That's a kind of growing. There's a, um, a nonprofit called uh, Il Tampano in uh, Oakland that is all text. I mean, they're just, they have a website, but they're just starting to use the website, but they started with text as their goal. And that is what they're expanding most rapidly. And there are many, uh, there are others, uh, many others actually in the um, INN membership that are uh, doing that across the country. So there are all sorts of models like that, but investing in the sort of engagement, social uh, engagement um, is, is an important part of the um, outreach. And that includes, you know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Instagram and and new other ways like text only, for example. Right. And you're still so just so I hear you clearly is that a lot of these smaller organizations are still print. You know, especially I would say, especially among the ethnic media, Mm -hmm. um, that would be true. All of the other, you know, of our 200 plus uh, media partners, I mean, many of them are still, you know, newspapers. Right. But they all have they all have digital sites. But more of our ethnic media partners had either underdeveloped web presence or no web presence yet. And now, you know, they're all kind of moving toward that so that they have more opportunity for reach, right? Because if you obviously have a digital presence, you can build all sorts of reach out of that. Sure. And so they were actually still printing news on paper and having it delivered to doorsteps. <laughs> yes, there's right. lots of them. There are lots of them <laughs> in California. We still have quite a few newspapers. We have a lot fewer than we used to, right? But, you know, many of our partners are still, um, you know, uh, you know, have newsprint, you know? Yes. All right. No, that's good. Because that's something that I've been in, so wrapped up in digital for so long that I forget that there's, like, yeah. you know, printed <laughs> newspapers. Like I was, I was a paper boy when I was 11. So I remember, I remember. You remember them. that. And there's I still started. paper boys. There's still people taking them and delivering. Exactly. There is. Way. I see them even here in San Francisco. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let me ask you this. This is a big question in the, in the definitional space. You mentioned equity a couple of times. How do you guys at Cal Matters define equity and how do you work on that? Because it's a really big term that has numerous meanings. What does it mean for you guys? Well, I guess I would define it first on the coverage uh, level. Um, I mean, what we are what we are trying to cover is the California divide, and that divide is poverty and inequity at very high rates across our state. and we are trying to write about that in every way. And we're also tying that into the state's stated goal of reengineering the economy to lift more Californians, right? Yep. So equity has to do with not just racial, social, economic, environmental justice but that isn't those are important themes of the equity 
coverage overall, but it also just has to do with um, people being on a path to economic mobility that's sustainable for them. Okay. And so those are really important. Those are the themes that we really, you know, we cover, right? And it's just that because this is a nation state, unlike many others, right, in the world's fifth largest economy, it's it's so big, right, that there's so many aspects that you have to be able to cover. And that's why, you know, we will, we say we are using an equity lens to look at all of these beats, um, environment, education, uh, healthcare, you know, all of these things yeah. that we cover, um, we use an equity lens because that is, that is the state of our nation and our world right now. We want to do that. So that's one way is through coverage. The second way is through our commentary. We have a statewide commentary forum. Um, we also distribute all of that work to all of our media partners as well. And so we are with the commentary, the equity lens kind of comes through when we look at perspectives on those issues and potential solutions. So we're looking for perspectives, broad array of perspectives across our state, including lived experience. Mm -hmm. And because we want the commentary forum to be a place where those perspectives are aired and viewed and listened, you know, um, uh, read uh, and where the, they have the potential for um, change to happen, right? That's not our role to change, but our role is to provide perspectives. And so that's what we, that's what we do. And, you know, in that way, we also, we look at equity because we actually uh, have goals against um, diverse perspectives, diverse in every way, you know, age, creed, <laughs> everything, right. right? Region, we are always looking. We don't want to have like, okay, we only have all of Southern California or we only have Northern California or we only have people in this age range or this color, right? We want, we need lots of perspectives and we need whether they're change makers, lawmakers, it doesn't matter whether they're community people at a local level talking about the perspectives on those issues. So, you know, it's a daunting challenge because it's a big state, but we're, that's what we work toward all the time is to have a healthy dialogue in that forum about solutions and perspectives on the issues of, uh, of our day. I mean, I'd say those are probably our primary ways of taking that equity lens and, and sort of delivering on it. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Because I think a big piece of what you're talking about, some of the literature I read from your site actually talked to, I think it's 40% of Californians live at a poverty or low poverty level. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the 40 million people that are all included, that's, you know, it's 18 million people yeah. that are in trouble. It's a huge amount. That's yeah. a staggering gross statistic, you know, considering we are the fifth largest, what is it, $3 trillion economy here in California? Yep. And so, on that equity side of things is that you you guys talk specifically for that because that's again where I think the biggest problem remains is that people in poverty don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. to access literature that may help them, whether mm -hmm. it's on voting, whether it's on their COVID health, whether it's on health care, whether it's on you know initiatives within their own local or mm -hmm. state specific mm -hmm. to funding programs to help with their childcare, to help with food, you know, how is, how is it that we collectively can help more people have 
better information about what's available to them? And how can we do that as a, as a journalistic organization? Yeah, that's another really good question. Um, you know, I don't think any of us are that great at it, to be honest yet. I don't. Um, I think that there are definitely other news organizations that have done some really kind of remarkable um, experimenting with some remarkable ways of engaging at that local lived experience level. I think uh, CalMatters, we still are working on that. And one of the ideas we have that we're um, uh, planning to do starting this year is to have regional uh, teams that will include an engagement kind of editor who will just go do that, like figure out interesting ways to engage, right? With local people. So you can get kind of more of that lived experience and local voice and, you know, ideas and, you know, just, we need to like find a better pathway to that. That's, you know, it's, it's really um, humbling to try to do that in a state this big. And I don't know what the real answer is, but we're, we're thinking that we could experiment in this way since we've had some regional teams, we'd, we'd be able to start learning how to do that better. That's one. I think, you know, other things are, um, like we did do something really interesting that we, um, are about to put something up on the site about, we had our, one of our California divide reporters did a, um, a set of, a kind of, um, a, I don't know what you call it, I guess a training session for a group of um, homeless people that we have been writing about. And, you know, we got them um, uh, laptops and we did a whole training to tell their own stories. And then, um, you know, we're, we're using some of those stories on, on the site. And it's a small example. I think we had about 15 of them. Um, and, you know, we did it you know, on either a phone, uh, on Zoom, but on phones for many of them. Uh, and it was like a good learning experience because it, it brought the lived lived experience to us. It also gave them some new skill sets and helped them tell stories that we hadn't heard and that we could then, they could share through us, right? We could get those out there and they could share them themselves too. It's like a small example, but that's kind of what you need is like small um learning, right? Learnings, right? That you can take one example like this and, okay, so could we do something bigger than that, right? And could we do it instead of here? Could we do it in, you know, three other communities, et cetera? Again, you know, you're never going to be able to scale that big enough in a state like California, but small examples, models that could turn into something bigger um, that get you closer to engaging at that local level and the, with local voices could make a could make a big difference. And is that part of your digital democracy initiative? Um, how does that how does that cross pollinate with what we're talking? Yeah, that's a good that's another good question. Um, so the digital democracy. So that is a so here's the thing with that. We learned a lot. Um, in starting in 2018 and then in 2020 with our um, voter guide. We have a voter guide. It's really cool. We did it. It is you know, the in- best voter guide ever, by the way. that That's it's, the one thing that I go to every time for you guys. It yeah, is it's really, I mean, it is so really well good, together. right? And the reason yeah. is, I mean, the reason it's good, not just rah-rah Cal Mayors, but the reason it's good is like, no one wants, I mean, voting is not really, a, you can't really consider that to be a fun experience. Voting, oh, no, right. <laughs> it's not I mean, a sexy those, thing. You know, you no. get those things in the mail if you're, uh-uh. you know, and you just think I can't do this. 
Um, not to mention, you know, California's propositions are impossible to understand. So they really are, you know, but the point is we said, you know, I mean, I didn't think of this at all. Our team like kind of came together and we did our first voter guide in 2018. We're like, what would make this accessible for people? We decided to do it like job interviews and it, it changed everything. We had, you know, uh, I think it was about 2.9 million people watched the one minute videos that we did, which explained the propositions in a way that a human being could actually understand. Right. Um, It's just and then, you know, we did videos with all the uh, contestants, all the people running for governor, et cetera, and all our state offices. You know, it's just like make it easy for people to understand. Right. So they can go vote with confidence. It's like so simple. But the point is, it worked. We got millions of people. That was all great. We also did it in different languages. We work with um, a a group of Asian um, uh, media organizations and uh, a couple of others. and we uh, translated into several languages. We actually mm. uh, raised money so that newspapers serving uh, several Asian um, communities could add extra pages in their newspapers and put the voter guide in it mm. uh, in their language. I mean, you know, again, this is not like rah rah Kilmers. This should be like really basic, right. but it isn't. Is the point? Like we had to go raise money in order to do that. And it helped. And, you know, La Pignon and others came to us and said, people wrote us and said, like, this really helped me. Like, that's all that matters, actually. Right. It's yeah. not rah-rah Calmaris. It's like, no. make something accessible and people can use it and make it like it's in the, a bodega near their house. Right. It's in their little local paper, whatever it is. So. Just things like that. That's that's what it takes. And that's that's what this digital democracy thing was all about. Um, and we learned a lot because we did it in several languages, et cetera. Now we're thinking right now because we're about to make our, our guide, our new guide for the 2022. And we're thinking about like, OK, how can we improve on that? What can we do? We're even thinking about like um, making like prop and voting party kits that would be like literally physical and like people could do it in their living rooms with their family or friends. People can have like little parties and, you know, we just give them to everybody. We're thinking about more, you know, okay, so could we, could we print more and put them in churches across California? I mean, we're not gonna do every church, right. But like, what, what could we do to get it in the hands of people and make it more accessible and lower the barrier to voting? So that's the idea. And then the other idea that goes with this whole digital democracy thing is we've been working with um, Cal Poly um, and they have a, you know, amazing team of uh, data, data scientists. And what we've said to them is no one can understand the impact of money on lawmakers and policymakers. No one really understands, you know, anything about it. Aren't there, uh, and, and these guys have like hmm. AI tools, artificial intelligence tools that are they're able to like make these, you know, kind of pretty accessible little maps and things that show you the influence of money. Who's yes. contributing to X, Y, Z. Right. And now we're talking about local lawmakers who are representing somewhere. So that's another thing that you can look at our we have a, a product called the Glass House on mm-hmm. our site, which is. Um, our effort to create a, a way for anyone to find out who their local lawmaker is, what they do, what money's influencing them. And so now we're working with um, Cal Poly to put together this, their, their AI 
brain power to make um, this kind of information more accessible to people. So that's what that's what this is, is really kind of lower the barrier to entry and understanding of basic things using tools that, um, you know, most of us couldn't even understand. But uh, once it's there, the data sitting in front of you, you go, oh, that map really makes me understand that. I didn't understand it at all. Right. But now, poof, there it is in front of me. So that's the idea. I love that. And you have in here that this is part of a, a goal, I think, is that for another million dollars a year, you could take your Cal Poly project manager, who's currently dedicated about 20% of the time, right, and put him full-time, have software engineers, UI people, uh, user interface people, mm-hmm. um, project managers, student staff, video hosting. And the, the initiative is basically what you said. It's to bring a layperson, plain English approach to the complexity of voter copy if you will, because there's a comedian that I can't remember him or her's name, but they were making fun of it in the sense that it was dropping the double negatives inside the voter. And they made a joke in the sense like this one said, if you vote yes, you're going to kill babies. And he's like, but I don't want to kill babies. And if I want to make sure that I protect babies, but the way that they worded it, he was worried Absolutely. that he was actually going to kill babies if he voted yes on it. Yes. So that's, that's kind of what you guys are trying to get to, right? Where you take yeah. all of this and make to your point, a contestant kind of bringing some fun to it and then bring a level of discourse that is acceptable and understandable by us regular folk that haven't really dove into all of the nuance of the politics and where it comes from and where who's lobbying for what and why. And and so that is a piece of what you guys are doing too, then, um, which I think is a fantastic. And this is, and then you have another initiative is the investigator reporting. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because that intrigued my ears quickly. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what we call our accountability desk. Um, yeah. You know, again, you know, as CalMatters has evolved, we are always looking at like, where are the big gaps in what needs to be done? And what we decided is, again, we're in a nation state with a 300, nearly $300 billion budget. It's startling, right? Where mm-hmm. is all that money going? And is it effective? And does it, you know, do what it's supposed to do. You know, we don't have um, the level of investigative reporting we used to have 20 years ago in California. Many newspapers had big teams. Most of our, many of our newspapers don't have that anymore. There is literally, um, it just doesn't exist. So, you know, we most, I would say, you know, most of our team is very capable of doing in-depth investigative work, but we want to have a dedicated um, investigative team. We have one dedicated report. Everybody else does. We let them go off for a few months and do big projects all the time. But the idea is to build an accountability desk that will really be the watchdog for all of this money and where it's all going. Um, And, you know, that will take, you know, a fair amount of money <laughs> and we're raising money now. So that's exciting. And we will have a dedicated team. We'll also include um, uh, like a general assignment reporter who can fill in for a reporter on their beat so that, you know, if the economy reporter is doing a big thing on the um you know, whatever the, uh, you know, EDD crises and, you know, no one can understand how all these people didn't get their money and got ripped off um, of unemployment, right? Like no one can understand what happened. And we've been writing about it extensively, but there's still so much more to say. Um, 
you know, that reporter can go off and do that in a general assignment. A reporter can fill in on that beat so we don't lose our beat coverage during that time because these investigations often take, you know, months of uh, months of effort. Um, and we already have a data team, but we'll um, continue to grow that data team because data is really at the heart of uh, these investigative projects and often takes, you know, months to gather all the data. So the idea is to, you know, build a dedicated team to kind of replace what's been lost in California. And then again, you know, we give all our work away for free. So, um, you know, hundreds of our of our news uh, partners use our work. And that's the idea is we'll be able to uh, produce this kind of work and then get it out on our own site and distribute it to all of our, our uh, media partners. This is an initiative you're attempting to fund currently, right? Yes. I mean, we have a dedicated, uh, we have one dedicated accountability reporter now. And, um, you know, our, our team continues to do lots of investigations all the time. But uh, the idea is to build a full team and uh, we are fundraising for that right now. That's great. And that's the one you have in your list. If you if you had your druthers, you would have up to six reporters. Right. And advanced investigative data skills, an executive editor, a data analyst, a visual journalist, a deputy editor, research software consultants and training, paid student interns, which I highlighted, which I think is fantastic, yep. and then legal consultation on sensitive stories. That's a great question. What does that mean, legal representation on sensitive stories? What are you guys up against on that front? So, you know, um, every every investigative story has to be um, reviewed by a lawyer who's got skills in that area. And we have a wonderful lawyer, a longtime um, media lawyer who was uh, at the LA Times for years, and she's amazing. Um, so, you know, every step along the way, you run into issues related to gathering public records. You might have resistance from organizations, agencies, federal, state, any local um, that could be one aspect, but then you're also, if you're putting together, you know, the story of, uh, you know, the failure of EDD to manage the unemployment uh, and money crises, you know, you have to be very careful to um, get your facts right, right? And to be That's sure right. that you have strong support for every everything you're saying about the findings that you put together at the end of an investigation. So, you know, we always work with our lawyer to review everything and that the lawyer looks at every everything that you've got and, you know, really you have to make sure they're sound, right? And right. and fully reported. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Dave does that with all of our stories anyway, but we also do it with our lawyers to just review and it's uh, great to have a legal set of eyes that's thinking at that level about um the support that you have for making um you know, for presenting your findings in the most in the strongest possible way and with the right level of support. Well, that's so cool. And you know what, Masha, I, I I wanted to get into stuff that I don't need to get into anymore. So I will just wrap it up this way. I will say this is that in a lot of the homework we've done and I, the books that I referenced in my last interview on this with a couple mm -hmm. of the folks was Free the Press uh, by Brian Karam. And he published that in 2021, and it's about journalism today and how it it's it's problematic for a lot of reasons that we already know. And then there was one called "The Death and Life of American Journalism" that was written in 2010, and that was really more about the death of the newspaper business mm -hmm. and how that affected old school journalism and how that worked. And then I mentioned Batya Anger Sargent's new book called "Bad News," which was a pretty scathing indictment on specifically the New York Times. They went after them pretty heartily, uh, as well as the Post, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, for being elitist 
mm-hmm. and at the actual uh, that the tone had to change because to sell newspapers or to sell digital subscriptions, you mm-hmm. needed to cater to a what they called a moral panic. In this case, it was racism and how it's affected our culture, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion being a part of that. And what took place, which is I love interviews like this, it's just what you did helped me, and it'll help our listeners understand that true journalism exists, that it's here, that it's actually growing, which is very good news, mm-hmm. and that, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be journalists out there that are working for, you know, clicks and and stories and shares and media, you know, media buy analysis and, and things that they have to do to make a living. But what is really encouraging for me as someone who's really attempting to understand what's going on in journalism, you guys are doing it right. And it doesn't sound like Cal Matters is the only one doing it right. It sounds like there's a slew of nonprofits that are attempting to actually tell real stories through a nonpartisan lens based on reporters who are dedicated and have a sacrosanct mission of being objective in their reporting. Yes, I'm with you. Um, that makes you know, me really uh, happy. <laughs> it makes me happy too. I'll tell you what makes me really happy. You know, uh, this is my first year I went in as in January as the chair of uh, the board of uh, the Institute for Nonprofit News. And the reason I love it is um, th- it's you you can absolutely see in all of these news organizations this passion for public service journalism Mm-hmm. for serving the needs of their communities. And this uh, this past year, 2021, we had our first um, awards for our nonprofit news organizations. And so I was uh, happened to be one of the readers. And uh, I mean, I know lots of these news organizations, but I don't know all 360 of them. And I was startled, humbled, and impressed by the kind of journalism they were practicing all over. And that just gives me, I mean, I've been in this industry 25 years plus, and it just gave me so much hope. And I see it every day, you know, we've got 40 of them here and these are all people I really care deeply about. And I I see the work they do. And I just think who who else, right? I mean, it's, it's really important journalism at a local level. And these are, you know, some of the startup leaders of these organizations are, you know, young and some of them are old and they've been doing it for a long time <laughs> and their passion is the same, right? They're just, they're yeah. just out there trying to serve their communities. And, you know, we lost, we've lost so many um, news organizations over the last um, decade hmm. in California and elsewhere. Right. And many yeah. of the others that are, are left the, the for-profit ones, right. Are still struggling. And so to me, the fact that, um, we can have so many nonprofits and that we Cal matters can give our work to a, you know, a whole bunch of for-profit and nonprofit and that we are sharing our work. Now we collaborate together with for-profit news organizations, big ones like the LA times we've done collaborations with small ones. We've done collaborations with, and that we're not actually thinking of ourselves as competing anymore. It's like, it's really wonderful because it benefits the communities. That's really all that matters. You know, the competition thing is kind of ridiculous anyway. I mean, sure, we can compete for good stories, but we don't try to do the same stories everybody else is doing because what's why is what's the point of that doesn't make sense, right? right. It doesn't make sense. So, well, and it's I not pie. <laughs> it's not pie. There's plenty for all of us. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. There's so much still, you know, not covered. But, you know, I'm, I'm very encouraged. I mean, I, I, I feel very encouraged by what I'm seeing. And um, I, I think that, 
we all have to be better informed, right? For our, for our mm-hmm. world to be a better place. And especially this time, I mean, one really good thing about, you know, nonprofits is we have to be nonpartisan because yeah. it's so if you're going to be, you check the box, it says nonpartisan. So you have to work really hard to stay that way. Um, and we need more of that in, in our nation and really in our world at this point, because we have such a division. Um, well, yeah, and that that's actually the real scary thing. And you mentioned this before, as you know, your industry, journalism in general, hasn't been great on the diversity front. And my industry, you know, coming from the ad business, it's the same thing. We haven't yeah. done a very good job of that. And I think that in general, the media, specific to the largest publishers and the largest news channels, and I understand this as a businessman, you know, they, they need to do what they need to do to make money. And sure. so I get that. But the problem there, which is a big one now, is that we are so divided as a culture. Mm-hmm. And in part, it's due to the media and how they taint the stories and how they report on 10% of the problem. And because that's the sexiest part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I get it. It's if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. That's always said true. But if specifically, if you're a left-leaning organization, you're going to you're going to print your purview. And if you're a right-leaning organization, you're going to print yours. And I think that the nonpartisan approach to what you guys are doing and that what the nonprofit sector in general is doing, I think the biggest thing as someone who tells stories for a living <laughs> is that your stories need to be told more so that people then understand that there are sources out there like Cal Matters that you can go to and read a story about COVID and say, okay, I get this. It's not being slanted one way or another. I can read a story about poverty and homelessness in California. I can read a story about welfare. I can read a story about schools. I can read a story about masks. I can read, and these are all really important stories to the average family. The right. average mom and dad that really need to understand, hey, right. if what do I do with my kids? And do I need to upgrade the masks because they were saying I shouldn't before? And now should I because of Omicron? And what does that look like? And mm-hmm. where do I go to get these pieces? And I think that's, for me, why I have so much respect for journalism and journalists in in general is that historically, and my friend Alex and you being two prime examples, is that you guys care about reporting a story and you have it fact checked and you send that up to your editor. And that's actually where the name came from of my company is true 30 that came from Alex, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Having the 30 at the bottom of the story. I know. I remember. <laughs> I loved <laughs> that. <laughs> send up to your editor. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's, we're going to try and do that. We're not, I don't want to misrepresent what true 30 is. I have journalists and writers. We are talking about the most popular stories of the day. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, as you've probably looked at our our stories this week, we talked about masks. We talked about yeah. the Joe Rogan stuff. Uh, we talked about Ben Shapiro's media empire and how it's going to help the GOP win in 2022, which scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's, we are attempting nonpartisan, believe it or not, because I, even someone who lifts, who leans left, I have so many dear friends on the right including my relatives who always ask me for years and years and years, you're in the media, Joey, where should I go? Where should I go to get a good story? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing now that, you know, I've said this over the, just over the last couple of years to people. And if you really want good state news, go to Cal matters. You know, my friends in Minnesota don't really, <laughs> it's not their thing, but like my friends here and they have come back and said, this is really cool. It's, it's not the sexy stuff you know, that you see on Fox News or MSNBC. It's, but it's the stuff that we need to understand as a community 
to make better decisions and to vote. And it doesn't mean vote one way or another. It means to vote on what yeah. is, matters to you and how important those issues may be. So, you know, I need, I know you got to get going, but thank you so much for your time and your effort with me. And then thank you for all that you guys are doing at Cal Matters because I genuinely believe as someone who reveres journalism that it's necessary for our democracy. And so I appreciate what you guys are doing over there. Thank, thank you, Joe. It's been so fun to talk to you about these things. I think we're both pretty passionate about it. So it's 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 great to be able to uh, illuminate a little bit of what's happening in this space. And, you know, we have to be uh, optimistic about these trends, right? Because the country yeah. really, really needs to lessen these divides that we face. You know, it's just we everywhere do. now. And I, I just feel like, you know, good information that isn't taking sides is maybe can help heal some of those rifts that we have right now. I couldn't agree yeah. more. It's a good place to end it. Thank you. Let me thank you. Off. Take good care. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you dig what we're doing over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs.